I don't have to think about how I'm going to work out all the details of my life, but in this moment right now, I'm walking with Jesus in obedience and he's giving me overflowing joy. I don't just need to feel better, I need the truth. And ultimately, that will make me better. I just wanna make it as totally simple and no-brainer as possible for ladies to see that the Bible is really applicable to their everyday life. When they understand theology, the application flows out of it quickly with joy. It is a journey, but even the journey itself is joyful when I'm doing it, holding the hand of my Savior and trusting Him all along the way. This is the Joyful Journey Podcast, a podcast to inspire and equip women to passionately pursue beautiful biblical truth on their journey as women of God. When you choose truth, you're choosing joy. Typically, I'll be joined by either Jocelyn or Alexandra, but for our first full episode, listen as all three of us discuss the topic of joy. Okay, welcome to our first episode of our Joyful Journey podcast. My name is Janet, and I'm here with my co-hosts Jocelyn and Alexandra, and we're going to be talking today more about joy. There is a reason that we called our podcast Joyful Journey. We really do believe that that's true. And one of my favorite psalms to really think about that concept is Psalm 16. So I'd like to read through Psalm 16 and just think about it from the perspective of where does our joy come from? So Psalm 16, Psalm of David, starts with, Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. And what I love, my husband studies from the original language. He is an Old Testament professor And he said in the Hebrew, it actually says there in verse 2, Soul, you say, Lord, you are my master. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times when I need to talk to my soul. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That is what David is saying there. No soul, you will say, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. So one of the things we see about David is that, number one, he knew who to go to. And one of the things that brought him joy, that brought him pleasure, are the godly people in the land. And then he contrasts that with troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Um, Not joy, but sorrow. Other versions use the word sorrow. And so what does David say? I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. And I think about in our lives how often we want joy And yet what I'm doing is speaking the names of other gods. Mm. I am saying, I will find joy if everybody thinks that I'm amazing. I will find joy if I look a certain way. I will find joy if I can be more successful, which are other gods. But we know troubles multiply when I chase after those things instead. But according to verse 5, Lord, you alone are my inheritance. My cup of blessing, talk about joy, my cup of blessing You guard all that is mine. So think about that. What is his inheritance? The Lord is. He goes on to say, the land you've given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. But understand he has just said his inheritance is God, 
not just the land. But if you understand where they are, these are people who are nomads. They needed land. That is security. That is life. If you want to tell a nomad you want to be secure, you want to have life, they need land. And he's saying, that's, you are that for me, God. You alone are my inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. He's talking to himself at night. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. He says at his right hand, which is strength and victory. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice because he's just thought about the fact that he's with God. God is his inheritance. How could he not be glad? For you won't leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life. And we know that he showed us that in the face of Jesus. Granting me the joy of your presence. And again, that literally means before your face is the fullness of joy and the pleasures of living with you forever. And when I think about joy, am I growing to agree with God that it's before his face? And do I understand then I'm not there yet? I'm not before the face of God, but I have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. I know that. And when I live in accordance with that, I get to taste more and more of that joy because God is my inheritance too. So working through Psalm 16, I just gives us a beautiful picture of joy. This Psalm was such a pivotal piece of scripture for me to understand the point of my relationship with God was supposed to be a little different than I had thought it was. Mm-hmm. I, I love this Psalm. Mm-hmm. When I think of joy, I, when passages talk about joy, it's helpful for me to define what God is actually mm, good promising point. Totally. Good point. because he's not promising us happy, easy lives, totally. right? When he says you can have a life of joy. So I studied with our mom to mom group last year, the fruits of the spirit. And the definition of joy that we learned was it's a predetermined attitude of praise for God's goodness by maintaining an eternal focus in the midst of difficulty. Mm. And for me, Psalm 16 is such a powerful psalm to go to when you are going through something hard. And I love, Janet, how you were talking over and over about that I need to talk to my soul. You referenced it in verse 2 and throughout the rest of the psalm. Verse 8, I think, is just a perfect explanation of that. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. But I have set, that is a choice. I have set the Lord Mm. always before me. That reminds me of Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. This is a choice that I have in the midst of suffering or a hard day even. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I think... Some things that steal my joy, we talk to ourselves all day. Absolutely. We counsel ourselves. We could live in condemnation. I'm a bad mom. I'm a failure. This isn't fair. I'm sick of blah, 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 doing I deserve whatever. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And it can just be really easy to allow our emotions to be the boss. And the problem is that so often we can stay there and not apply truth to that. Yeah. And I love John 15, verse 7, where... It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I think that just goes along so well with setting the Lord before me also means soaking my mind, abiding, making my home in scripture. And I do love, though, that you mentioned in your definition 
an eternal focus. Oh, absolutely. Because I think that's part of the problem. We would say this is not a joy-filled world because it's not happily ever after here. <laughs> yeah. And if that's what I'm focused on, I can't even see the goodness of God. Because if God were good, why did he allow? Whatever. But when I'm thinking eternally and thinking what will give me the greatest joy is being in the presence of God. And Jesus made that possible. That's going to happen. That is a guarantee. And I have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. How can I not know that and not be rejoicing? But I have to be thinking eternally. And if I'm not thinking eternally, none of this makes any sense. I also think it's it's so helpful to remember the big picture. Like, why did God create us? What's the purpose that we're placed yeah. here for? Why, what is this life supposed to look like? And one of the things that I love about Psalm 16 in the end where it says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is it counteracts this fallacy maybe about what the Christian life is supposed to look like? Like we're just static, philosophical um, thinkers who just sit around and read the Bible all day and then go do whatever we want. God didn't make us to have our Christianity be a component of us. Our relationship with God is supposed to be the core of who we are and it informs the way that we live our life. Mm -hmm. And so by keeping the big picture in mind, we can see that God created us to be in his presence. And when we are in his presence, we are filled with joy. I was blown away. I remember a, a long time ago when I studied this passage the first time and realized that Jesus says, or that God is saying, that at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. Mm. Our Christian walk isn't supposed to be some completely feelingless, boring existence. God created us to find joy and to find it in him. And counterfeit measures will never give us the pleasure that he promises us in closeness with him and in abiding with him. In the midst of hard things. Totally. Yeah. And Jocelyn, I remember one time you taught, I can't, I can't remember what you were teaching on the topic, <laughs> I'm but sure it was incredible. I'm sure it was, an, Must have been I'm, awesome. it was amazing. <laughs> but there was one thing that you said, the satisfaction that God offers within a relationship with him is like holding a Dixie cup oh, yeah. under a waterfall. Mm. That is so powerful. And I think that's what our souls absolutely crave. That's what we were designed for. Exactly. Yes. yes. One of the sad things is, one of the things that contributes to the most sadness in our life, if we're going to counteract sadness with joy, is when we look at God's commands in scripture and we say, you know what, I'm pretty sure he's holding out on me. Mm -hmm. That if I do that thing that he's taught me to do in the scriptures, I'm going to be prohibited from getting the joy that I think I need in my life. And so we decide to do our own thing, live without obedience, and because we're so convinced that we're going to be happiest when we get what we want. And when you look at scripture, John 15 says that our joy will be full when we are living the way that he has designed us to live. John 15 is the passage that talks about Jesus teaching his disciples to stay rooted in him, basically to stay attached to him, to find their sustenance from him, their thoughts from him, their nourishment from him. And then if we try to abide outside of that relationship, we would be withered and thrown away. And so John 15 says that Jesus's goal for his disciples is that they would have full joy, not just a good enough life to not want to kill ourselves, but full joy. 
and that that full joy is found in really clinging tightly to him Mm -hmm. and seeing him as our life, as Deuteronomy says. He is our life. I love that. When it comes to, like, why do some Christians not experience joy? And I think there's probably a myriad of reasons, but the main one is sin. Sin robs us of a joy-filled life. And... Janet brought up Psalm 16, and in verse 4, it says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And we see that throughout Scripture. You know, and these are not just sorrows from trial. These are sorrows from the consequences of sin. Chasing after other gods will multiply our sadness. And we have choices that can produce joy. It's by the Holy Spirit, but we definitely have choices that... In James 1, it you know it says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not just here. We see that our what we choose to think and what we choose to believe about God does have a direct effect on the level of joy that we will get to experience. A verse that I all the time go back to when I'm in the midst of temptation is Proverbs 13, 15. It says, Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. Mm. And all the time I think that my sin will make my life easier by giving into this sin. But right here we see that in, in 16, 4, and again in Proverbs 13, 15, that sin makes us... It makes us stupid. Sin makes us sad. Yeah, it's true. And then to think our sin is so deceiving, like you said, Alexandra, it makes us think God's way would never satisfy. What I really need is this other thing. Mm -hmm. And then I, and there's so many places, well, our own lives. I have to tell you, as a fellow traveler, I don't live in a constant state of joy. Yeah. I wish that I could tell you I did. But I am as deceived as the next person, which is why I need the word of God all the time. And I'm currently reading through Philippians and was just thinking about the context there in Philippians 2 where Paul has that beautiful poem about the humility of Christ and then that Christ will be the one exalted the most. And then as he talks about his own life, tells them not to complain and argue so that they would would be shining bright in the world. And then he says, I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. And I think, okay, I can remember when my kids were little, struggling with, I feel like all I'm doing is pouring out my life for other people. Like, Mm -hmm. when is this about me? Oh, totally. Yeah. And yet, whenever it is about me, it's never enough. Mm, Preach. My worst days were always Mother's Day and my birthday. Because those are the days I really think... All the other days I'm thinking about everybody else, as if that were even true. But on those days, if somebody please make it about me, me. I mean, just those two days of the whole year. And whatever they did wasn't enough. And to think the deception of, if it were about me, I would be joyful. And when I do make it about me, I'm the most miserable. And yet, turning your world upside down, when I pour out my life for others, because of the gospel, because I love God... God in his upside-down kingdom, that's where I had the most joy. And that's what Paul says. I rejoice that I get to pour out my life like an offering, not because he's feeling like a martyr, but because he was designed to love God and love others. And when he lives that way, there's joy. But my heart is very deceived. 
There's this passage that we use in counseling quite often, John 13, 17. It says, if you know these yes. things, blessed are you if you do them. And man, we could quote it. We could make a sermon about it. Like we could talk about it forever. But it's so interesting to know that that is the summary verse for a whole passage that talks about pouring your life out for mm. other people. Mm-hmm. Jesus was teaching in John 13 about how he was about to go back up to be with God because he had completed God's mission and his joy in God was full and God's joy in him was full. And so he demonstrated this life that he wanted his disciples to lead by bending down and washing disgusting feet. And then they had the Lord's Supper together. But the passage John 13, 17 says... If these things, blessed or full of joy, happiness, full of gladness, you will be if you do them. And the context of that is Jesus saying, a servant isn't greater than his master. So now go do to others what I did to you, which is just the summary of the Christian walk. I mean, we were created for God to dwell with him to enjoy him, to know him, and out of that knowledge to represent him vividly to those around us. And this, you know, tragic human condition at where we all decided to rebel against our purpose. But Jesus's perfect death, his perfect life, his death and his resurrection can be applied to us Mm -hmm. and can return us to that purpose of enjoying God. And in that relationship, that wonderful relationship where we get to be in the presence of God through his word right now and in person later on when we're with him in eternity. But the joy from that relationship can be experienced even when our life is all about other people's lives. That we live the choreography of heaven where our life is lived to serve others. And in that, we get this like accidental joy. Like who could have ever thought that we would get joy from giving others? That's what our heavenly father is like. And we're made in his image. What brings him joy is giving to us. Like, and, and that is, that's amazing. But we are so human and the world doesn't operate that way. So that doesn't make sense to us. And I can remember a good friend of mine years and years ago who was really serving at the church, but you don't realize where the deceptions have already come in. And she said to me, when have I served enough and then I can just do what I want? Oh, wow. But think, and I was like, wow. So she actually said to me, maybe I, I want to tithe my serving. Give God the best. Give him the first. Oh, wow. And then, but what was that communicating? Satisfaction comes from getting, serving others out of the way. So I can do my own So I don't have to feel guilty about focusing on me. Yeah. And we can talk about, oh, that's just, but it's not even, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't work. If I did that, I get more self-absorbed. I get more self-focused. I get more miserable. And then you that's develop not... all you develop all sorts of wicked, sinful tools to try to fix that sadness. Y- yes. So because it's like it doesn't make sense that spiral. giving up yeah, would do it. How can totally. giving up my life in the service of other people, because I love God and because I love them, not out of being a duty and a responsibility, but out of love, that doesn't make sense to our brain. And, and yet, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
because it's, it's true. I think it would be helpful if we could just, at these three different points of life that we're in, talk about what this looks like practically. Like, we're not just high up in the clouds. What does it look like to live out this Christian relationship with, our relationship with God through, through our redemption from Jesus? How does that affect, like, how I put cereal in the bowl and fold laundry and educate my kids? Yes. Oh, gosh. So, for me, my red flag when I'm finding my joy in something else is I will say, I just wish that, that, that. And my husband is so in tune with this and, you know, how to counsel me in those moments. And so the joke in our house is when I say something like, oh, I just wish I had a maid that could clean my dishes every night. Okay, that's just only reason. Right. <laughs> Everybody wishes that. I thought that was common. Okay. But when I say a phrase, oh, I just wish... Stefan cuts in, he goes, and then I'll be happy. Oh, great. <laughs> and so, it, and then it stops me. And That's just a great. Funny way. That is good. That is so, so good. So then, and then our kids will even join in, and then I'll be happy. <laughs> like, oh, mom is being so ridiculous. Uh, but it, it is a red flag to me, and I think it's good for us to see, okay, where are those red flags where... I am I am tripping up right here. Yeah. And so for me, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I find yep. myself saying that or thinking that, I know, hey, Alexander, you need to do a heart check right now and see what lie are you believing that you think is going to satisfy you more than being like your Savior who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's our example of how to walk the path of joy. Mm-hmm. It's not ease and comfort like my soul craves or I should say my flesh craves what about you Jocelyn well I I think practically for me deciding to love other people more than myself looks really simple deciding to spend time with my husband when I have 40 things that I need to do need quote unquote when what I really need to do is to love him and to support him and be a safe place for him after a long day it doesn't mean I'd never get my stuff done but if he's my priority then I actually make him a priority and it's amazing how sometimes I'm thinking when I get done with all this work then I'll be happy and really I find often that when I'm making sacrificial decisions to serve my husband, it brings this like weird joy that I was never thinking would happen, but it happens every time. Like, what? Wait, I'm happy doing what is best, even though I didn't get my stuff done. Or practically, if it makes our family work better by me sticking to a strict schedule so that the kids have reliable life to build up around, Mm -hmm. then it means like I don't snooze. I don't just decide to get up whenever I want. I sacrifice by going to bed on time so that I can get up on time so that I can make my kids' morning smooth because my joy is not going to come when I get to have as much rest as I want to have, which, you know, we're moms. Even, I don't know that there's ever a time that we all feel completely rested. But no, because then menopause, let me tell you. <laughs> then, then <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think it's a practical thing, saying, like, this donut's going to make me happy or this amount of sleep is going to make me happy or getting my work done is going to make me happy. Then like, I'll be happy. Then I'll be happy. <laughs> my joy is getting to do this journey with God. And so I, we're farmers. I pick green beans for so many hours out of my life. And it's like <laughs> my least favorite thing to pick. And everybody at market wants it, so I pick it a lot. And so I, I can go out there and be like, okay, just got to get through this. Got two, two more hours of picking, and then I'll be done, and then I'll be happy. 
Or I can say, I'm going to go pick green beans with Jesus and we're just going to reflect on some things that we've been, I've been reading about, but I'm going to do it with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy this journey with Jesus, not get done with my junk so that I can have the life that I want. Yes. This is a life Jesus chose for me. And along that journey, he's providing me joy as I really think hard about how to obey him in this context, in this moment, with this word, with this thought, with this day. I don't have to think about how I'm going to work out all the details of my life, but in this moment right now, I'm walking with Jesus in obedience and he's giving me overflowing joy. I I think that's key because you said you have to think hard about it. Mm. And I think for most of us, it doesn't come naturally to think giving up my plan for the day or doing something that's not so pleasant is going to lead to joy. And we don't want to think hard about it. Now, I want to think what comes natural, which is once I get done with this, I'll be happy. And then you get done with it and you're not happy. Anymore. Yeah. It never works. Yeah. But we think that it will the next time. And so in my season, my kids are grown, but in town. So we get to spend time together. It's very different. I have more flexible time, but I'm finding that my, I have to battle. My joy can still be very tied up in how everybody in my family is doing. Mm. And when I know, and right now, each family member that I have, my daughter-in-law, my daughter, my son, my husband, all each have things that I could tell you right now that are hard. And what I find is when I'm meditating on that, it sucks my joy. Mm. Mm. And then I even end up irritated with them for having hard things so that I have to now deal with think. it. Yeah. yeah. And so we were talking at lunch, I think it was Sunday afternoon, and I told them, well, I've been reading Philippians and was just really challenged. One of the difficult things for me as the wife of a leader, a pastor, is when things are being communicated about my husband that are not true. And what do I do with that? And then I was reading in Philippians Paul talking about those who are preaching Christ. Some preach it because they love Paul and they love Jesus. Some are preaching it because they know if they talk about Jesus, they make Paul's life harder. And he says, Some with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my change more painful. As a matter, whether the motives are false or genuine, the message is about Christ, and I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. He's having joy in prison for an unjust accusation while there are people using the name of Jesus to make his life more miserable. But when your life is only about Jesus, you can rejoice in that. And I was really convicted that in my mind it was, I just wish that this wasn't so hard for that person. I just wish that that person didn't have that weight on them. I just wish that people understood really what was going on there with my husband and those things weren't true. I just wish, and if only, um, and thinking, there's no freedom there. Because it's never enough. And Here's it, freedom. Freedom is, no matter what else is going on, if I'm living for the Lord, but I have to fight for that. I have to mm-hmm. think hard. I have to go, God loves each of my family members better than I do. And that's what he's chosen for their walk. My job isn't to make it go away. It's to help them do it well. That's all my job is. And isn't it so ironic? It's hard. Like We just wish our, our kids could have an easier life or a less painful life or more clear decisions. And that's the very 
context that God is using to draw them yes. close to him. Just Which like, is what I want. Right. I want my kids to love Jesus. And Psalm 16 says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. And if he uses the route of difficulty and unclear future and uncertainty. To, his right, to bring them to him. It's accomplishing the very thing I want for them I just would have preferred to be painless which is so pointless because the journey is designed to draw us close to God and that closeness is what gives us joy not the absence of irritation and for that moment when I believe that I get to taste the freedom and the joy and then I have to battle again, but I just want to fight the right battles. I want to fight for true joy because I'm thinking biblically, not fight to change everybody's circumstances. Jocelyn, you brought up just like about trials. My mom had cancer and she battled it for two and a half years. And it was, it was a very, very gnarly battle. And there was a lot of suffering, obviously, involved. And my mom did pass away, but it was at her funeral that I actually experienced a depth of joy Mm. that I didn't even know was possible. It was at her funeral. I was very, very close with my mom. She was my best friend outside of my husband. But I think when we're going through trial, we just have a thousand little moments that are being brought to the surface because trial, I mean, I truly believe that trials are a joy because it reveals where we turn to for yes. strength and where we turn to for comfort, where we're choosing to dwell in safety. And I, I love in Psalm 16, for me, the most powerful verse in that is verse 6 that says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And sometimes those lines include, the boundary lines include suffering. Yep. And Within suffering, I have to continually choose to trust God's goodness. For me, I struggle to trust God's sovereignty. And it's in those moments, it's because I'm doubting his goodness. But that psalm is just David rehearsed over and over God's goodness. He's praising the Lord. He says in verse 7, I bless the Lord. And I just, I just think it is so important to be rehearsing truths to ourselves. But also, you know, I I feel like I'm saying when I talk, I'm saying a lot about, oh, do this, do this, do that. But ultimately, joy is a fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I can do. This is not a McDonald's fast food drive. I can't just say, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get joy along with the number seven or whatever. (laughs) Like (laughs) Jocelyn was talking earlier about being a farmer. I'm not a farmer. I can't relate to that life, but we live in Indiana, so you see there's harvest season, and it comes, it, you don't get harvest season in the spring, right? It comes at a certain time of the year, and in Galatians 6, 7, it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant, and so I just, I keep reiterating the, the importance of choosing where I'm placing my trust, choosing what I'm going to think on, what I'm going to dwell on, and ultimately... I need to trust his timing and how he produces that joy. Mm -hmm. And I need to trust that he will produce his joy at a time that glorifies him the most. And that means that may mean that I don't have joy for a season. And if that's what glorifies him most, then I need to say it is well with my soul. Exactly. Right. Right. That's such a cool summary place. Like verse eight or verse six says the summary of this thing is that the lines for me, have fallen in pleasant places. The summary is we know our future and we know that our 
present is being ordained by a sovereign God. And the summary of it is, it is good. The lines have fallen in pleasant places, and this relationship that I get to experience with God in the middle of this life was worth it. This life was worth it. It produced in me what God wanted it to produce, and the results of all the little details are up to him. But trusting him for those details is the possibility of having joy, no matter if the circumstances ever change. So as we wrap it up, let's at least talk about how this relates to the gospel. Because all the things that I'm hearing that we're talking about mean I have to trust, and we've said this, that God is good, even when my experience is not screaming that. And I know that in those moments, I will literally kneel by my bed and say, I need to spend some time hanging out at the cross. Because how do I know God is really good? Well, Romans 8.32, he didn't even spare his own son. How will he not give you all things? Mm. If he was willing to have his son murdered for my joy, I can trust that God even when my experience are not screaming that right now. Because my experiences are going to come and go. And what I know is, Alexandra mentioned, being in the presence of God is where joy is. What keeps me from the presence of God's sin? What sin? My idolatry. The things that I look to that are not God. Well, when those get ripped away, that's, that hurts. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way to get fullness of joy, is to get the things out of my life that keep me from being fully mm-hmm. in his presence. Yep. And to know, how can I trust that that's what God is doing? I look at the cross. I can't, I really can't come up with any other explanation for the cross except that he loves us. And if he loves me, and I'm reading a book right now that's talking about the fact that he is, that we don't spend enough time talking about what God is, what Jesus is currently doing, which is interceding for us actively, saying to the Father, I know, I know. And I died for that, and I love her. And the Father delighting to say, I know. And that just to see that, I can trust that God. I can trust that God. So I think as we, we could say so much more about joy, but I think for today, being able to remember that it's in God's presence is fullness of joy, and the thing that keeps us from his presence is frequently our sin. And so some of the trials are what God is using to get those idols out of the way so we can actually mm-hmm. experience joy in his presence. Yeah. Well, fun. I enjoyed talking with you guys about that today. I'm more excited and stoked, and I hope some of the people listening are. So thanks for coming. Join us next time to hear biblical answers to some big questions like, why am I here really? And how does that impact my day-to-day? In the meantime, visit our website at joyfuljourneypod.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Joyful Journey Pod. To keep from missing our next episode, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or Google.